back to our podcast, Living Room Librarians, with your hosts, Emily Yates and Jenny Dry. It's hard to believe we have just a month left of school after all this time at home. I remember when we left on March 13th, we spent that day getting teachers ready for online teaching, but it was just a possibility at that point, and it felt like it would be temporary. Our work has changed so much since then, like everyone else's. So we thought in this episode, we'd talk about what we actually do as librarians, now and in normal times, because it may be different than what many people think we do. In many of the conversations we've had with people we've just met or who don't know us really well, it seems that they have one of two reactions to finding out that we're librarians. It's either, that's so cool, I love libraries, or wait, you need a master's degree to do that? Yes, we do have master's degrees in library science. And school librarians have to go through a certification process that includes student teaching just like teachers do. I came to librarianship after working for a few years in education and other roles, and I got my undergrad degree in English and worked at two schools as a teacher, resident advisor, and administrative assistant before going back to get my library science degree. Being a librarian combined my love of teaching with my interest in research, technology, and communication. I've always been interested in writing and language, and I'm curious about history and current events. So I went to school first um, for journalism and worked as a reporter at a daily newspaper, and then later got a second undergrad degree in Spanish and spent several months living in Mexico. I didn't have a background in teaching, but I decided to become a school librarian because it allowed me to continue pursuing those interests and because I really enjoy being in a creative environment and helping people. So what do we actually do as librarians? One of the great things about the job is the variety. No two days look the same. One moment we might be helping a student with a really specific request, like finding a coming of age story with a musician as the main character or looking for journal articles on interior design in Argentina. And then we might get a call from a teacher asking us to visit their class the next day to show students how to upload a video of themselves giving directions in French. Teachers also contact us often about using the library space to use our whiteboard tables for an activity that teaches coding concepts with Legos, for example, or to set up stations where students can move around and learn about the middle passage. We've spent the past few years working to redesign the space so people can use it in a lot of different ways. We often do interactive lessons to teach students how to find and choose reliable resources for research and to cite their sources and avoid plagiarism. We also get asked to do book talks, kind of like short ads we write and present to get students interested in new titles. We respond to a lot of calls for help with technical issues, like a projector just died in the middle of a calculus lesson or a student laptop has gone offline. Sometimes that involves crawling around on the floor under tables while class is in session or figuring out how to take things apart and making them hold on just one more semester. We're the first point of contact for tech issues at our school, and we manage the hardware inventory, solve problems when we can, and then refer those we can't to the district's tech services team. This year, we coached the Black Falcons Programming Club special project team and trained half of the team to help us with tech support in classrooms and advised the other half of the team as they developed an app for a statewide competition. We also wrote a couple grant requests and received funding thanks to our wonderful Green Hope families to buy new books by Own Voices authors. And we've adapted our work to remote learning. Instead of our regular face-to-face sessions with students, we've done screencasts of some of our lessons and digital story times for the special education classes, um, which have included nature walks and even a lesson on how to make chocolate mousse. 
Now we are going to hear from Heather Munger, who is one of the librarians at Apex High School. Thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Munger. To start, can you share why you decided to become a librarian and where you worked before joining the staff at Apex High School? Yeah, so it's funny. I was done with my college degree and I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. I had a, I was looking at different master's programs and I went to the library almost every day. Their public library is amazing there. And I remember sitting there one day looking around me like, what about this? Could I be a librarian? And that was my plan was to originally become a public librarian. Um, at school, I actually ended up becoming an academic librarian. I got a job in one of the college libraries, and then I stayed on at that library for five years. So I was actually an academic librarian, but I was one of the health sciences librarians. So you're kind of like specialized from just being an academic librarian. How was um, working in an academic library different from your work now as a high school librarian? It's actually very similar because I was a reference librarian. I mean, there's a lot of different types of academic librarian jobs. Um, but since I was like a reference instruction librarian, it was very similar to what we do in the high school. Taught classes, you know, bought books. Uh, the biggest difference was, especially if those already health sciences, then within health sciences, you're still specialized from there. So I was a liaison to public health and the allied health profession. So like your PT, your OT. So even within health sciences, it was very spe specialized who I taught, what books I purchased, but overall very similar to what we do in a high school library. So today our episode is exploring what we actually do as librarians, since it's a profession with a lot of um, stereotypes. So we were curious, um, what's one misconception you think people have about being a librarian? Well, I'm going to speak for myself here, but I think um, that we shush people and we tell people to be quiet and we don't like our books touched and we don't uh, like a lot of noise. I have to say our library at Apex is... I don't want to say loud, but we're very busy. We have people coming and going all day long. Uh, we're always pushing our books to be checked out, to be renewed. Uh, always encouraging kids to take more than one book in case the book they take isn't the fit for them at that time. Um, and we love to host different things in the library. It's not just research, reading, um, and class projects. We host all different things in the library. So I think just the variety of our day is very exciting where it seems like we're very regimented and strict. I would say that's a big misconception. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's, it's always exciting, always an adventure. <laughs> um, <laughs> just one more question that we had. Um, we were curious, um, we've been talking some about how um, our work has changed as a result of school closures and remote learning. How has your work changed? I have to say in the very beginning, it was like, oh, wow, this is a chance to really work on some special projects and get stuff done that you're always saying you're going to get done. Um, that's hard to get happen during the year. But I have to say almost immediately, we have been so busy helping teachers move what they've always done in their classroom online. Um, so I have to say a lot of what I've been doing is technology related, if it was device distribution, which we are still working on, 
um, to getting things online, just answering a lot of emails every day from staff and students, uh, questions that they have. So we've been very, very busy. Um, but I would say more technology related than our usual reading and research push. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this is such a big shift um, and it's it's good for people to have someone to reach out to within the school to get support on that right now. I agree a hundred percent. And I'm glad people like think of us that way that just to bounce an idea off of, or, you know, I would tell them that I'll play the student if they wanted to run something, you know, through before they did it with their kids. So to be seen as that resource outside, even though we're not in the building and they may see us all the time to still be thought of is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Munger. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and appreciate your insight. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. This is a great idea. Love it. With libraries closed across the country, librarians have been stepping up to fill needs within their communities. In Wake County, librarians have recorded digital story times, curated remote resources, and last week, Wake County Public Libraries announced that some of their librarians are being trained as contact tracers to help slow the spread of COVID-19. We are very excited to be speaking with Wake County's Deputy Library Director, Ann Burlingame, about this project. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Can you start off by describing what a contact tracer does? Sure. Um, a contact tracer is um, really part of the mitigation of the virus. And so um, as we get more tests, when somebody tests positively for the um, coronavirus, what um, the health department will do is ask that person, who have you been in contact with? And then what they do is take that information, who they're in contact with, and give it to Wake County Human Services, the public health department, and they give that information to the contact tracers. So what you will have is uh, somebody's uh, name to contact, uh, and you will let them know that they have been, you will call the person and you will let that person know they've been um, with somebody in a close proximity with someone with the virus. And what you're gonna do is ask them, do they feel any kind of symptom? Now, if they say they do feel a symptom, then what you're going to do is one, ask them if they've seen their physician. And then you're also going to assign them to um, the uh, contact tracing monitoring um, system. And so that's a system uh, that's run by public health, not by libraries. And then you turn the call over to them and then that, that person or the contact will then be communicating with public health. So, you know, if, you're one, if one person gets the virus and they're in contact with 10 people, then the librarians are contacting that 10 people. Now, if we call the person and they don't have any signs of the virus, then what we're just going to do is tell them to monitor, you know, their health. And if they start to show any symptoms, we're giving them a contact in public health 
to get a hold of them and share that they, yes, we are showing signs. And also what we're gonna say is whether you're showing signs or not showing signs, you've been in contact with somebody with it and you need to self-isolate. And so we're asking them not to, you know, to, to really not see people outside of their direct family for two weeks to monitor where the, uh, if the virus, if they truly are gonna get the virus or if they aren't, that two weeks makes all the difference. Great, that makes a lot of sense and it um, seems like a great system to hopefully slow things down a little bit. Um, would you mind sharing why librarians were chosen to be the contact tracers and what skills they bring to the job? Sure, so, you know, um, in White County, uh, when the decision was made to close the libraries to uh, the public, um, we had a number of staff, you know, we have about 280 full-time equivalent staff. So if you kind of look at your people as all 40 hours, there's 280 of us. And so we were really challenged with continuing to find meaningful work for our staff when the public wasn't coming into our buildings. And, um, the you know what we did in the beginning was we really kind of focused on creating those virtual experiences so we've got story time online book discussions online uh we've made it easier to get a card online we bought more books so we really did ramp up everything that you can do at your public library without going into the public library but being part of the county you know, we also made ourselves available to support the county in um, this going through this crisis. And uh, one of those things was the Emergency Operations Center. Now, Emergency Operations is this center with that we enact whenever there's a crisis, and generally they're weather crisis, and they last, you know, two or three days. But for this, you know, we assigned staff to um, work in the call center. So if people were trying to learn more about what the coronavirus was in the beginning when there wasn't as much information, we had our staff talking to them. And we're very good, you know, as you know, uh, librarians are excellent at providing information, but also at customer service and talking to people and making people comfortable. Um, so as we go into this new phase with the virus, with contact tracing, the county um, was looking for staff that might have an aptitude to do this. And we were looking for ways to keep our staff engaged in meaningful work. And so um, the suggestion was made to us, would your librarians uh, be a good fit for contact tracing? And, you know, the the library's mission is to instill the love of reading and foster the pursuit of knowledge. And contact tracing is all about information. It's all about knowledge. And it uses those um, skills that librarians just naturally have. You know, we're, you know, we talk to people all day long, whether on the phone, whether they come in. We find ways, you know, through the Maryland model to get at what people are really looking for. So I think in terms of contact tracing, they wanted people that were accustomed to working and talking and asking questions. And you know, the other thing is librarians, we all have an advanced degree. We all have a master's degree. And so these are highly skilled people that 
could really um, could support the county in this effort because you don't have a lot of staff that are you know standing by to be contact tracers, uh, and it just was a really good fit. And it's a it's a way for us to give back to Wake County. And you know Wake County is a great place to live. It's a great place to work and a great place to play. So um, I think we felt that it was appropriate for the library to support and help us in this um, unprecedented time. Is this something that you anticipate librarians continuing to work on for some time? So that all depends on what happens as we open the uh, state. Um, I think, you know, uh, what happens when you have more tests is you have, uh, you know, more people uh, can be determined to be positive be positive for the virus. And I think that's where it's very important that you do what they call mitigation and identify who has it and who's been in, um, you know, in a place where they could get it. So my answer to that question is, if the tests continue, if the positive tests continue to increase, I think the work will also uh, continue to increase as long as um, we're trying to stop the spread of this virus through this mitigation and because we don't have um, a vaccine and we really don't have any kind of therapeutic cure yet either. Um, so it's kind of like the only way to stop it is to isolate and you know when we contact these people that's part of part probably one of the most difficult things to achieve is you know, if I'm calling Jenny and I'm telling her, um, I'm calling Jenny to say, okay, well, you know, you were in contact with with this virus. I can't tell you who it was. I can't tell you when it was because that's um, that would be a HIPAA violation. And you're like, oh, okay, well, thanks. I'm fine. Well, the next thing I'm saying is, well, good, but you, we really need you to to self isolate for two weeks. And uh, that is just going to be, you know, that's a big ask. <laughs> so, uh, but it's the only way, you know, it, it seems so, uh, for lack of a better word, primitive, I think in this country that, you know, we're, we're, we're having to stop a virus this way, but I think we aren't accustomed to not having vaccinations to stop this and we don't have it yet. So um, I, I think the work could go on, but it, all really depends on the positive tests. It already really depends on will people continue to self-isolate? Will people wear masks when we do reopen? And you know, a lot of that is personal choice. Um, so I, I don't know if I really answered your question, but because uh, I just don't think we know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, this seems like a great use of of the librarian skills, and hopefully, um, it'll make an impact on on the spread of the virus. Um, have there been other times in Wake County's histories when librarians have done similar work outside of their usual duties to serve the public in a time of crisis? You, you know, um, nothing to this magnitude, not in my career. But, um, you know, Wake County uh, does have an emergency operations center and all of this work is going through the emergency operations center. So. My librarians no longer work for me right now. They work for the Emergency Operations Center. They set their schedule. Um, any kind of issue uh, that they may have, 
none of that is mine anymore. It's almost like they, they belong to emergency operations for a while. Um, and we have in the past, as I said, in inclement weather, we've had some staff um, that we have um, identified to support an emergency um, and, and had them be assigned to the emergency operations center. But again, it was never 110 people. It was, you know, maybe three. And, it, and that, that kind of crisis, well, it will go on at the most, you know, two or three days. I mean, after Hurricane Fran, uh, that was a, you know, we had the emergency operations center open for a while, but I mean, we're going on, uh, it's gonna be, let's see, it's March, half of March, all of April, probably most of May and into June. So it's, it's been a while that we're in this kind of a state of emergency. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Anne. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And it's been so interesting and really eye-opening to find out what librarians are doing during this crisis. Um, we've certainly found ourselves doing things we never imagined, yes. you know, that we didn't get training for. Um, but we're really happy to be part of this work. And, and we really commend you for the work you're doing. And I will say, you know, one of the good things is all of our contact tracers are getting excellent training for public health. You know, we've had to training on HIPAA, we've had trainings on, you know, um, given scripts, we've done role plays. So, you know, we have a natural skill, but we also have had excellent training. So, you know, we're ready to do this work because we've, you know, the county has invested in make sh making sure we're comfortable. Uh, but I really do um, so appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and if, um, you know, if you need any more information or have any more questions, please just reach out and I'd be happy to, you know, email you information or talk with you again. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so All much. Right. Take have care. A rest of Take your day. care. Bye. Librarians have a history of serving in times of crisis. During World War I, librarians organized book drives and set up libraries and training camps and hospitals. They even had their own green wool military uniforms and special hats. They distributed millions of books in prisoner of war camps during World War II, and a book published this year by Kathy Pice, Information Hunters, When Librarians, Soldiers, and Spies Banded Together in World War II Europe, details how librarians traveled abroad to support the Allies' mission by gathering military intelligence, as well as collecting materials for American libraries and archives. More recently, librarians have aided their communities as they struggled in the aftermath of natural disasters, such as Hurricanes Matthew and Florence. Even in times of relative stability, libraries provide a place of refuge and access. It's our goal as librarians at Greenhope to provide this type of space, safe, inclusive, and responsive to the needs of our school community, both on campus and remotely. That's our show for today. We'd like to say a special thanks to Anne Burlingame for taking the time to speak with us, and to Heather Munger, who's spending the rest of her day distributing devices and hotspots to students who need them. And thanks for listening. If you have questions, as always, feel free to reach out to us. Our contact info and lots of other resources are available on our website, greenhopemediacenter.weebly.com.